Hello and welcome to Stat Chat, Dishing It with D. Klatz. I am Dave Klatsky of Colgate Men's Basketball. Today's guest is Steve Dunahue of the UPenn Quakers. He is currently the head coach as they are coming off a Ivy League championship season that really no one expected them to, to get last year. Um, what's special about this show is I think we've talked a lot about how in college basketball, not a whole lot of teams are really using statistical analysis. And Penn is the opposite of that. They are at the forefront of using statistics and helping them win games. And to hear Coach D talk about the things that he looks for, the things that they use, and probably more importantly, the drills and actions to utilize the advantages you get from the statistical analysis. So this was great. I really enjoyed it. I had a blast talking with them. I think everyone will learn something from this. Uh, I really hope you enjoy it. I know I definitely did. So here we go. Welcome back to Stat Chat. Uh, today's guest is none other than Steve Donahue, who is currently the head coach at University of Pennsylvania, formerly the head coach of both Boston College and Cornell University, but probably most important to this podcast, the man himself that coached and recruited me to the University of Pennsylvania. So, Coach D, welcome to the uh, to the show. How's everything going tonight? I'm doing great. That's one of my prouder achievements, getting you to come to the University of Pennsylvania. <laughs> well, good. Well, good. It's been, it's been a long time since then, but uh, – but uh, I can't say that uh, it wasn't one of my proudest achievements going through that. So, um, but anyway, let's let's uh, let's get started here. Just to kind of um, tell us a little bit about now that we're about to enter practice season here for college basketball. What kind of statistics you guys use in the practice setting, or what you track, and what you kind of look for uh, on that end of it? All right. Well, I think. Each week we may adjust certain things, but in general, um, we don't like a lot of shots off the dribble. Um, so in, in, on the offensive side, we really try to see if we can limit those possessions where we're shooting jump shots off the dribble. And now there's always an occasional guy that can make it and we'll support him. But so we'll chart that. In particular, on the defensive end as well, because we want to force our opponent into getting them to shoot off the dribble uh, a far away from the basket as you possibly can, but obviously not an easy three, something inside that. So that's something we chart all the time um, in terms of shots. Um, we also chart number of passes um, to uh, dribble ratio um, in a practice setting, and other things like uh, skip passes, ball reversals, paint touches, all things that we believe create good offense. And now, what have you seen? Have you been doing that for a couple of years now? or um, Like, I, I want to start with the uh, number of passes to dribble ratio, because that's one that I haven't heard too much about. Is that um, – something over the years that you've found to be successful for, for your offense to be more successful that 
if you have more passes and less dribbling, that that's kind of how it works out? I have. Now, obviously, it, it, a lot depends on how teams are playing you. Uh, but anytime I sensed our team was stagnant and was just not playing well, I'll go back and review the film. And sure enough, uh, when we get in bad habits, it's the ball's sticking and people are dribbling it um, and the amount of passes aren't coming. Um, very rarely did I go back um, and see, hey, look, if we had a five-to-one Honestly, some games one-to-one one is a good ratio, depending on how the other team's playing. But if we ever sure. get up to three-to-four to five-to-one five uh, pass-to-dribble ratio, for us it was a really good sign that we were going to have a successful possession. And that's kind of something I, we go back to quite a bit. Now, it depends how you play. Some teams force you to put the ball on the floor up. Uh, and you don't want to just pass for the sake of passing, uh, but that for us has been a real good barometer for a good offense. Have you broken down at all? Like, like obviously there is a difference, and we talk about it a little bit on our on our team between I call it like an assist pass versus safe pass, and then yeah. to go even further, like you're saying, like a wasted pass. Um, is there any further breakdown, maybe even just intuitively, that that you've done that you can kind of share with us, or is it kind of um, you know just just any pass in general? Like you, you talked about a little bit, but just a little bit anything else to go on that. When it comes to passes, I mean that's just a, a part of it, David. I think um, we go back and look. So the passes um, very rarely, like we have one. It's not a rule, but it's a real good concept. If the ball comes from the side to the top, we don't do a lot of high-lowing and things like that. If the guy's not open when he gets the ball at the top, that ball should be probably swung and he should cut. Um, there's very rarely do I say, well, you know, we want everyone to catch it looking at the rim. And if your feet are set and the defense is allowing you to shoot a standstill three, you should shoot it. You should sure. also know before he closes out what you're going to do. So, yeah, we don't want that nervous energy, no one's even near you, and you're just swinging it. Like, that's very counterproductive. So, we will pull kids aside and tell them, look, you got to be more aggressive. You always got to keep your eyes on the rim and make a decision. But the other part that comes in the passing is the cutting. And we'll track, you know, how many basket cuts, which means a really good cut through the lane and out to a re-space. Um, that's also something that we really think goes together with limited dribbles and passing. So if we're just passing east and west and we're not getting consistent basket cuts, then typically the possession's not going anywhere. Right, right. And when you guys – is this – do you guys have enough people or managers? I know in my days at Penn we had about four to five managers So it was with and terrific, terrific managers, um, so they probably could handle all this. Is this something you'll do live, or is this something that it'll be on film that you guys will kind of – as coaches or 
um, ops or, you know, people on staff are, are taking a look at. Now, we'll do this live quite a bit. We are fortunate at 10. Um, any place I've ever been, I've never seen, you know, so many people, young kids want to be a part of the program. We also have a group of, uh, I would say, majority are Wharton students, but they're math students that are in our analytic group. And I do think that some of other schools can probably use this. So we have an analytics group that comes in. There's probably 30 of them, two or three wow. of them almost every day. And they chart out and send us a report almost every night. It's crazy. And, it's, and what are they tracking? Do they have, like, specific – are they working – obviously, they're working with you, but do they have – Certain things, or is this? Are these the things that they're that they're tracking that we just talked about? Or, is there, or they have like their own agenda, uh, you know, studies that they're looking at. Well, what I like to do is I give them the freedom to just you know, give me some thoughts, or you want to charge something you think I should. I ask them to do that, and it was um, they did have something that they did. It was it was very unique to one player uh, so it won't make sense to anybody but I do give them that freedom if they do see something other than that then we'll go and say just the things I told you how many ball reversals how many skip passes how many basket cuts how many lean touches how many low touches we'll we'll have like five or six things um, and we'll get it back and you know points per possession when these things happen, um, and it's very helpful. Now, how much how much is this relayed? Uh, you, you said the the word points per possession, which uh, obviously in the statistical world is very common. How much is this getting relayed to the players? Like, do you talk in terms of points per possession with them, or is that still something that you're a little scared to do? I know I'm a little scared to do it with our team. Um, is that something that your guys, like if you said to your guys, point per possession, they would have any idea what that means? Uh, uh, they would, and I do say it, and I, I understand your trepidation as well. You just don't want kids being, you know, it, it's kind of counterproductive to playing hard and competing when you're throwing nerdy stats out there to kids at times. However, I, I, like I'll say, and the, the things I started the conversation off with, the shots off the dribble, I'll just give them percentages, you know. And conversely, just so you know, we're we're doing this on defense as well. All these things we're saying is we're, we're reinforcing all of the things we're doing on defense. So after games, um, I'll come in the next day and say, all right, look, it, we forced our opponent into 14 shots off the dribble, mm. jump shots, and we took two. And here's the percentage on those shots, just to reinforce them. And like, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So here yeah. they come back uh, and say, and I tell you, 14 shots, they shot them at 22 percent, and we shot four, and we shot 31 percent. Still not good, but we only shot four. And I, I think I'm such a proponent of that uh, for most college players. Their ability to make shots off the dribble is very difficult. Yeah, I think it's difficult for NBA guys too, and and, <laughs> and it's it's uh, it's funny you say that because 
to me, like statistics from a coach's perspective is almost more about how you practice and what you practice. Like yeah. I try, obviously as players, as from a coaching perspective, you want your players playing on instinct. You don't want them thinking about like, oh, if I take a shot off the dribble, it's 38%, you know, if it's a long two. But if I shoot this one, it's a 48. You know, you don't want them thinking like that. You just want them knowing how the offense flows and, and what works best within the offense. But I think that's a good way to, to kind of differentiate good shot from bad shot, which which they can understand. Um, and, and to use some numbers there, I think it's it's really valuable. I think that's something I'll definitely uh, start incorporating. Um, now, just getting back to your uh, – so defensively, we're talking about forcing opponents to shoot long twos over, you know, catch-and-shoot threes, layups, and, and free throws. Now – how do you how do you do that is is obviously yeah. the you know what what can you do what things are available from a coaching perspective that you can kind of achieve that yeah and listen i i i continue to grow as a defensive coach and one of my lessons i learned in my boston college experience is i wasn't going to allow defense to define my lack of success Again, I wanted to make sure, and I just took a really good look at myself and how we teach it. So, essentially, we just don't want to give up assisted threes. So, we talked about that a lot to the point when we scrimmage, a team that gets an assisted three gets six points. Wow. So, if you give up an assisted three, you're giving up six points. And hence, you're trying to get those because you're – or what you want on offense. So that's one yes. thing that the kids know to win these games. They're not going to overhelp. Uh, there's a lot of technical things we talk about, but essentially you got to get your hands up and get them off the line. And then we work a ton on once he gets off the line, inviting him by jumping back and giving him a cushion, inviting him to try to take a shot as far away from the basket as you can, and then not get to the rim. And if he gets to the rim, we don't foul. So I give you the three rules. Don't give up a layup or dunk and don't foul doing it. No in rhythm three and limit teams to one. So I think all this, those three things play into all the things I'm telling you about where we're, where we're trying to not give up assisted threes, um, you know, playing, not overhelping, and being in the right spots. And this way you stay in front, you don't overhelp, and you limit teams to one. Yeah, and this brings me back to uh, I did a podcast with Dan Giroux of the Cleveland Cavaliers, and he talked about in the NBA how their bench basically celebrates if they drive a guy off the line, like if it's a catch-and-shoot three and you can close out to make him dribble the ball, your percentage goes down by 9% just right off the bat. And that's and if you can get him to do that from three to two, then your expected value goes down big time as well. So it sounds familiar, and it's it's just different from when you were coaching me back in the day where every closeout was, you know, chop your feet, get there, and then be ready for the drive. And now, I, I don't know if you guys do this. We do this. Like, we have we do that, but we also have a drill where we, you know, run a half step by the guy 
to try and make mm-hmm. him go into the into the three point uh, circle. So, um, so just true. crazy uh, how Let things have changed over that, the years. Yeah, on that point, I I think our our my some of the kids still do this in, in our uh, fall workouts. So they're going short choppy steps, high hand, and I'm saying that that's not a that's not what we do in that situation. If you're in that situation, and basically we want to eliminate as many long closeouts as we can, but if you're in that situation, you got to fly them off the line, and, and hopefully we're not in those situations. So last year, just to reinforce it, uh, we were ninth in the country and least amount of shots from three, our opponents, meaning we gave up the least amount, ninth least amount. And we were second wow. in the percentage in the country. Um, and we limit teams to one. We were 12th best defensive rebounding team in the country. Um, so I think your point, like, I used to be, like, stay in front, uh, give them a challenge, we'll, you know, uh, and then check out. But I, I've kind of changed uh, over the last couple of years and, I really enjoy coaching this way. Well, it's funny you say that. One of my one of my questions and one of my uh, uh, in kind of researching you and, and your teams, uh, I looked at your Cornell teams that won three Ivy League championships in a row and got as high as ninth in the country on in offense. This is according to Ken Palm Offensive Efficiency, first in the league for three years with numbers that are off the charts. And then to watch what you did with the Penn group last year, where you basically won because of your defense, to wow. see that transition, you know, obviously I had you for one year and have been following you, but I think people's perception of you as a coach is that you're an offensive mastermind. And to see this, this now makes sense of how you've kind of changed and you've kind of beat everybody to the punch a little bit here with adapting to the new game. And uh, it's, it, it shows in the numbers that you just mentioned. Uh, um, I think you guys finished at 72nd in the country last year in defense, which for uh, I think you, your team was about 125, and to be top 75 in defense is it's all Ken Pop. The raw numbers was we're 22nd in the country in raw numbers points per possession. Yeah, and I, wow. I, and I appreciate you saying those things. I think the the lesson for me as I go back. Um, you know, you learn from failure. Uh, I think I had to, I had to adjust. I, I just didn't want to be that coach who just coaches offense. Um, and I'm at a place I think you can recruit uh, a really good all-around player. So the ability to kind of do both is much more accessible than it was maybe at my other two stops. Sure, sure. Uh, just getting back to some of those other defensive points that you mentioned, not fouling. So I yeah. think that's one of the more underrated advanced statistics that not everyone kind of thinks about. Um, do you have any suggestions, strategies to have your guys foul less? Yep. So we work on fouling less. So there's a couple ways. So we'll do a drill, a, a simple closeout drills almost every day, which I told you, it's a high hand, jump back, and now 
the offense has three dribbles to try to make contact with you going to the rim. And you can't make contact to him unless he's within six feet of the rim. And then you can block him. But basically it's just not allowing your kids to make contact. Move your feet. Give a cushion. That's one way. So we've got no ticky-tacks. Um, so you're saying nope. he's at the, he starts at the three-point line and he goes to drive and the offense is trying to, like, basically get into your body and you have to avoid it? Is that yep. what you're saying? So Right. So we'll go one, two dribbles. Now, the third dribble, and here's what we do. On the third dribble, we'll say, all right, now we're now the offense is going to take it right to the rim. And we don't want this to happen in a game. Obviously, we want to cut them off and, and maybe start the process of, you know, making contact slightly early. But the practice – plays at the rim and I can I can show you where this is really one game for us over over last season because we chart this. So he goes to the rim and we try to make contact and we essentially throw your hands back, your chest out, and basically pull the chair on the offense. And the offense knows it's coming here and they still mess up. Um, right. we'll do right. that three times a three times uh, a week. If you looked at our, our games last year, so we would chart those be four or five plays a game where the, the team came down, had an advantage, came right at our guy, and we just threw our hands up, bailed out, and they don't have their legs under them, and they throw it off the backboard or it's short, and they fall down, um, and it's worked for us. Um, yeah, that, th- those are 20. huge plays. Oh, they're backbreakers. Because you know what goes yeah. down? It goes down the other end. You get a layup. Yep. The offense only yep. turns out four seconds later. Bill Self actually mentioned that to me after the game uh, because of watching our teams play. And we'll do it all the time. I just, the old adage that no easy buckets, I think there's, I think it's such a penalty. There are individual fouls and collective team fouls that you're really hurting yourself by fouling. Um, of course, there's time and score, times and certain individuals that are bad foul shooters. But in general, we're really trying to, to build that foundation up. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I did a video probably my second year here. I, I, I called them and I talked to uh, – coach Nat Graham about this back in the day about it but uh, I call them layup saves and it sounds familiar to what you're talking about but basically if you can make a guy miss and you don't have to block a shot but you make a guy miss a layup in any way you can that's a gigantic defensive play now you might now if you can make a miss and get the rebound that's like tremendous now you're talking you're probably an all-league defender but even if you can just make a miss it's going to be a crucial play in a game uh, that could be decided, you know, in a game where a five-point swing is a huge, a huge thing. So, um, and that goes that's back to good. Davis just to say, uh, I mean, we're gonna this is gonna happen to us a lot because we're not giving up driving kicks. We're trying to show that we're shrinking the floor and doing as much as we can early. But the reality of it is, we're really not. So, if someone's gonna drive it against us. One, we got to really be good and smart to cut him off before then, but if he does get to the rim, don't compound it by fouling. Right. 
Right. Now, do you, do you, um, what are your, what are your, uh, rules or, you know, uh, suggestions on, so you say you guys try and limit catch and shoot threes, you call them assisted threes. So when someone's driving, what, what are you trying to tell your guys that are not guarding the ball that, you know, someone may get a half a step and you're guarding another guy? How, how are you teaching that? It's, it's funny. We're doing more. Your, 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 the one thing is your lead foot, no matter where you're at, is always facing the ball. So, um, that makes sense. Your inside foot. If the guy's at the top of the key and I'm, he's facing the basket, the right wing facing the basket, my right foot's up, but my shoulders and my head are essentially looking at my man I'm defending. But we're trying to give the illusion that we're really in the gap. Um, okay. So okay, we're we're in the gaps, but we're not in particular. Even if it's a non-shooter, early on for the first month or two months, you know that guy screws up spacing and he drives into you and his head's down. There's a read, and you can be down low and you can deflect leather, uh, and fine. But if it's a typical situation, shrink it. Lead foot up, shoulders facing your guy, and as he penetrates and your teammate shoulders are in front of that guy, go find your man. Think steal, if anything, but don't don't overhelp. That was got to come. Right, I, help if anything. I heard good terminology uh, from uh, Coach Jim Baglin, Jeff Schiffner's old high school coach. Oh, uh, great coach. He said, great coach. He, he said it. Show help, but don't give help. And I kind of like yes. that that wording about it. Like, you That's show good, it, but you're not really there. It's an illusion, as you just said. Uh, you got to stay with your shooter. Thanks. That's a great one. Yeah. So, all right, now, now moving on to um, a little bit of offense. So, now, you definitely, I don't know how to say this, uh, if you're a shooting guru or – you find shooters, so it makes you a guru. But um, talk to me a little bit about your thoughts on shooting in general in mm. terms of finding guys that can shoot versus finding guys that can't and what you'll kind of uh, write off or look for um, when you're looking for guys. Um, and I, I get, you know, I have a tendency, I'm sure, to be, uh, a little bit of a shooting snob because I do value it so much and some guys think they're good shooters and they I, I don't think they are um, there's there's certain characteristics I, I, I love you know a, a real intangible is confidence and it's dangerous if the guy's not a good shooter but it almost has to be part of the makeup that the guy believes he can really shoot. Um, that, that's something we look for. I look for consistency in terms of footwork. Whatever he does, he consistently gets to that point in a great, quick, professional way, even at a younger age. And I think a kid named Ryan Whitman, um, he just had the ability to go one, two, left, right, in almost every scenario, um, in particular from distance. And his body didn't have to be squared. 
it didn't he could float, but I love guys who really were definitive about their footwork. I just think that establishes so much and confidence goes with that as well. And then the ability to stay balanced through a shot in different situations. So whether they're coming off a, a screen, they're fading away, uh, a guy's flying at them, their ability to really stay balanced and finish and stay complete and not allow the shot to be changed. And those are a couple of things that I think I look for um, to really tell if the guys can really shoot it. Now, is it true that if Nat or Ira or uh, Mahala came to you and was like, I love this kid, he's got side spin form, though, <laughs> what are you saying to those guys? The form isn't good, you're saying? No, he, they have side spin. So they make shots, but they have side spin, meaning like, yeah, so their form isn't perfect. Right. Um, I, I think, once again, um, it depends where you're at, uh, you know, your situation. Who can you recruit? I'm at a place right now um, that's such a great academic and basketball situation. I can be really picky. I, I just yeah. After yep. we got through uh, all the things, all the if you're just telling me, hey, we got to go find a shooter, then I'm gonna be really picky. But there's other. You know, that's just one aspect of how we're going to win. Uh, my, our heart and soul of our team is a kid named Max Rothschild. Now, he's making himself a, marge of a decent shooter, but he brings so much. I'm not going to worry about his shooting. But sure, I, I kind of know now who can be a 40% three-point shooter. Uh, just with practice and reps and, and yeah. things like that. And it's, it's not everybody, uh, so I got to be careful. But I do feel uh, I can figure that out. And now, uh, how many guys? Uh, and just hearing you say that, I personally, and let me know if you agree with this. I think when you have size, the shooting matters less. Like, so yeah. obviously we all want, like, it'd be great if we have five good players that all can shoot and you're going to be in good shape. But to me, like, if you're six six and above, I, I can handle you not shooting as well. But if you're, like, six six foot to six three, especially, and you can't shoot, I think it's really hard in today's game. So, like, you, you're going to have to, you're going to have to be tremendous at other parts of your game. So uh, or else I'm, pr I'm probably writing you off. Is that, you kind of, yeah, I'm with you. Just because, you know, if you're not an elite shooter at six foot, um, the game is very difficult. Everyone's trying to get length. They rush you. So now you're not even – you can't even do what you do well. The other advantage of being tall uh, is that you have more time. You know, you can be a slower release guy um, because you're taller. Yep. Uh, and that, that allows yep. you to be – more efficient. Um, our team at Cornell, that 2010 team, we led the nation in three-point shooting at 43.6. We were 46%, wow. 46 in league play. And we had very good positional size. 
6-4. And then smaller guards, but the other, the other kids were so – we were able to get their shot off without changing their uh, shots that you mentioned because they're small. Um, it just makes a huge difference. I agree with you. You got to be really careful yeah. with shooters, yep. kids who are under that size that, and it's really that don't shoot it well. They, as you said, they, they better bring something else. Uh, John Chain used to have a saying: "You got to give me a dollar, all right? If you're only going to give me thirty cents with shooting, you better bring me seventy cents somewhere else." <laughs> and some kids can't do that. Then he couldn't play. Yep. Yep. And now, how about improving? You talked a little bit about, like, you can kind of tell if a guy can get to 40%. What what have you seen? Have, have guys been able to improve? Uh, have guys proved you wrong, proved you right in that regard of, you know, you, you scout them, you see them play a couple times or a bunch of times, and you make a judgment on their shooting. How how has that been? Have you been accurate or can guys improve? Yep. So all coaches will, I think, agree with this. You never know is the bottom line, how hard that kid's going to work, how much he wants it, how coachable he is. So when I got to BC, uh, Reggie Jackson was a career 27% three-point shooter and made, I'm going to say, 40 in in two years. And he asked me, um, you know, what he needed to do. I gave him a list of maybe three mechanical things, very simple, just as yep. I was saying, get set, one, two, stay and finish, bounce. And then shoot 10,000 of them by the time we get back to October 15th practice. Well, he did. That's what he did. And he, shot, he made um, uh, 71 uh, at 42%. Uh, because he put the work in, and he yep. coached him, and he wanted it. That's that's a frustrating thing for all of us. You know, it's not a difficult skill. Uh, hard skills aren't that difficult. What I mean by hard skills, like shooting, uh, footwork, uh, where to place your hands uh, on defense, or how to rebound. The soft skills are the ones that are really difficult, you know, because the game goes so fast. You know, the feel for the game, the reads, when to help, when not to help, when are we going in transition, all the little things that happen in basketball, the soft skills are much more difficult. I would still say if a kid's not going to work at it and put the time in, he won't become a good shooter. I'm so glad you just mentioned that because I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. So to me, as you said, the hard skills you can improve, uh, you see all these videos online about people working out. And to me, I look for the soft skills. I, to me, wow. feel offensively and defensively makes or breaks, makes or breaks you. So, um, I've really been trying to figure out how to one, coach that and two, recruit that. Now, I guess we'll start with coaching it. Do you have yeah. any ways to coach um, to put guys in, to me, it's about, you know, if you do something a thousand times, it becomes yeah. instinct. But it's hard to do, feel yeah. things a thousand times. So do you have any suggestions or what you guys can do or talk about that helps on that end? 
Yeah, to me, it's the key thing on uh, being a good team and being a good recruiter. So, I'm, I I think the difficult part is by the time we get them and the hours that we have to try to make someone have a feel for the game of basketball, those soft skills, it's really difficult. Um, now, I think if you're at a situation, you can water it down and you want to utilize certain kids a certain way. But to me, that just limits the growth of your team, and I'm not willing to do that. I'd rather sacrifice length and athleticism for uh, over thinking I'm going to not have a feel for the game on both sides of the ball. I just It's just hard for me to think that. Um, you, you hit on the right things. You go over it. We do a lot of dry. We give everything names offensively and defensively, try to make it muscle memory type of things. And kids, kids improve. Can they improve to help you beat your opponent is the issue. We, that's the hard part. Um, the recruiting part, I do think there's certain things that you can watch for to help you a better recruiter with soft skills. Like, for instance, I'll give you an example. I watch a kid, a big kid, catch the ball in the post. I'm pretty sure after watching him catch it two or three times, how fast the game goes to in his mind. If he's a kid that yeah. catches it and looks at the ball for a split second, the game's going too fast for him. If he's a kid that already knows what he's going to do with the ball when he gets it, and he's already processing that, and you can see that, then uh, that big kid probably knows how to play. We really look for big kids that can do those things. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's – I find myself like, you know, obviously that was a, a, a large part of my game um, – where the the feel part of it, um, so I find myself when guys do make plays that I'm like, oh man, that was not like normal. I I, yeah. I end up overvaluing it a little bit, but part of me is like, it's not overvaluing if they can do it. That happens a couple times. Like once, they might have just got lucky. You know, it might yeah. have been like circumstantial where uh, the the scope of the game allowed for it. But if you're doing it a couple times, where I'm like, oh wow, that was that was a good basketball play. I start to really notice you and, and kind of like you probably more than I should. Uh, no. At the end of the day, it might be, you know, it kind of has proven correctly these last couple of years. You know, we all make mistakes, but we've kind of hit on a couple of guys that have had some good feel that have now pushed us a little bit further past where we have been in the past. So, um, no question. So, yeah, so that, that, that's definitely an important thing. Now, now getting back to, you know, measurable things, um, so we talked a little bit about some of the things you guys track. Tell me yeah. now we're going to go to games. So yeah. game ends, you get the box score, and you get, you know, whatever else you get. What are you looking at, you know, in priority-wise to look at how we did, how we played, what do I need to talk to my team about? I look at shot charts right away. I look at them halftime. I look at them all the way. And with the shot chart shows me this make – off the dribble, uh, or we fouled. Um, and I try to evaluate all that. And um, that tells me a lot. 
I see that. The- Just real quick, the, the the execution of that though is somebody has a court like is it an old fashioned shot chart yes. with just like yeah. like three D means three dribble three up the dribble or something like that and is that kind of yeah. what what it what it looks like? Yep, that's pretty, okay. pretty much what it is. Now we you can get you can get all this stuff the next day, um, but I, I want to say like man, we there's 14 layups by our opponent. Um, and they're all converted. You know, we're not we're not guarding. Right. Um, shots from us, you know, or or the opponents. Look at we got them. We got them. Look at this. It's all over. It's got seven, eight deep out of the out of the lane twos. Um, and we pride ourselves on out of the lane twos. Um, as a matter of fact, we were out of all the teams that made the NCAA tournament. We had the we had the we took the least amount of shots outside the lane twos, and we get we made our opponents shoot the most. And that's the 68 best teams in the country. So the shot chart, to me, is a quick tool when I'm on the fly. And then, then I can go to the next steps of, you know, like I think we all do, uh, assist the turnover. We don't want to give up assisted baskets. Um, you know, we had a, a record when opponents get less than 10, uh, is almost 90%. Now, yeah. of course, that's hard, but we did it a lot. And I think that, when, that, to me, if you can go get four more assists and turnovers and your opponents are getting eight assists and four or five more turnovers, you're going to win that game. Like, it's very rarely that you don't. So to accomplish that, just to go back a little bit to what we talked about before, you put a lot of pressure on your one-on-one defense, essentially, um, because you're not helping as much. And that goes back to the not fouling as much. Um, is that something that you think can be taught, or are you recruiting athletes that you think in your own mind can guard one-on-one at a, at a rate that, you know, guys won't score on them uh, efficiently. Yeah, I think it's, once again, I'm fortunate to be in a place I know now that I can recruit to that philosophy. However, I'm not asking, if you think about it, I'm not asking to overhelp and get long closeouts. So if the team is connected and we're doing this right, even the weaker step slower defender can not be in a long closeout. He can put the hand up and make the guy think, take the in rhythm three away and then he can cushion as much as he wants. I'm not asking right. for to deflect. I'm not asking the pressure. I just want it. So, but the, obviously the better all-around basketball player, the more athletic kid that buys into that is going to help us do that philosophy. Uh, but, I mean, we've done it against really good teams. And uh, But to answer your question, everything comes down to where you're at and who is executing your plan. And I'd be foolish to think that this uh, my plan is has, some, has nothing to do with the, the type of players that are trying to execute it. 
No, no, yeah, of course, of course. And I think, you know, talent is always going to be the driver, I think, but I think these little things will help get the most out of that talent or the least out of that talent if you're going the opposite way and not realizing these things as the game adapts. I I mean, I just looked at it. I do think, David, yeah. I do. What's that? The other thing, like, the other thing is, like, it's like anything else. This this is... This is what we believe in, um, and the players really want to get better at doing the things. Uh, our fours and fives know that we switch. Um, you know, and we haven't talked about ball screen, but there's a large percentage of time we got to switch, and I expect them to be able to do it because we work on it a lot. Yep, yep. All right, couple couple quick hitters for you before uh, before we get going here. Um, that uh that are just curious uh, I think other people would be too um first do you have and have you had do you designate your coaches as offensive coordinator defensive coordinator do you specialize your assistant I do uh it's not something I've done all the time but over the last 7 years uh I have um I think it okay I, I think there's real good positives in it. One, you empower your assistant. I think that's something that's important for their growth. Um, it enables them uh, to really dive into a portion of the game uh, that, to me, I can go to them and really ask something specific that they can come back to me with real good reason, knowing that they really studied this aspect. As a head coach, that makes me feel really good. Um, Right. And so I I believe in it now, and I think it's something that works well. Okay, next. How many guys are you crashing, uh, not not by a rule, but, like, would you like to crash to the glass on a a typical shot? So a typical, I'll give you a typical. I'm going to go, your four and fives got to do whatever they can to figure out a way to get there. Um, the third best rebounder, whether it's a two or three, is looking for an opportunity to at least get into the lane and look. And if that's something that he can go, if not, retreat. And then the other two guys, guys shot it, or the point is is yeah. back. The other guard, um, yeah. All right. Now, uh, there's there's guys who are good at this, and I'm going to give freedom to go. Uh, guys who aren't, I'm not going to harp on it. I'm going to try to do it. It's not something we win or lose games on. Uh, but transition defense is huge, um, and we do a very good job of it. That's also charting. We're the best defensive transition team in our league. We're the best offensive transition team in the league. We spend a lot of time on it, and I think you got to really know more, not just your team philosophy, but what does each guy do well that you can try to make your group better by utilizing that kid? Meaning, like, if you're a tremendous offensive rebounder, like, more times than not, you, you get to the glass as opposed to, like, if you have the decision, just go because you got you, you got good rebounding skills as opposed to a little that, guy who might find himself yeah. in the same spot. You're saying just get back. Right. Or and But I also – we have a quick, really fast guard named Deb Goodman 
He's just really good at hunting down the ball. If he doesn't get it, just guarding the guy. Yeah. And, and, and slow him down. Like, it's just, I just watched him. And we just went to Europe, and he did it in Europe. I'm like, man, that's a pain in the neck to go against. Like, right. I'm not, I'm just going to, I'm going to worry about somebody else getting back because he's stopping the fast break himself. Yeah. Um, stuff like All that. All right, last question. Last question. Um, peak Cornell teams from the Ryan Whitman, Jeff Foote era versus a peak Uganda Onyekwe, Coco Archibong team. Who's winning? Uh, obviously, it's a great game. Uh, <laughs> it's a seven-game series that's going seven. It really is. Um, I will say, um, your group with Uganda, Coco, Andy Tool, David Klatsky, Tim Bagley on that group with Jeff Schiffner. Yep, Bagley, Schiffner, yep. That's ridiculous. Chubb. Chubb. Adam Chubb, that group uh, is such a good offensive team, so athletic. That would be a hard group for my 2010 team. The obviously the ability we have there's one difference. We had a seven one kid that played in the NBA that none of those kids played in the NBA from Penn. Yep, and we had an elite shooting team. It would have been a great series. Great, great series. Great, great that series. group that I just mentioned though from Penn, whew, that's hard to imagine. Yeah, beating that yeah. group. Fun times, fun times. Yeah. But anyway, that'll be that's the that, that'll be an argument for the ages. Obviously, two uh, of the best. I hope my the past thirty that. years. Yeah, I was gonna say if this was Ryan Whitman's podcast, then you'd probably say the Cornell group. But since it's mine, you have to say the Penn group. So I'm okay with that. But uh, <laughs> but no, <laughs> this was uh, this is great. This is fun. Um, I'll, I'm obviously will always be rooting for Penn. Hopefully, you guys can get another Ivy Championship, uh, and uh, maybe we'll see you. Maybe we'll oh, see you in the NCAA tournament uh, at some point. I told you I listened to your podcast before, and it's, I love the. Is statistical analytical piece as a tool, but you can tell we talked about so many different things, but it's really good. And I think as a coach to utilize that to see if you're really teaching the right things that are helping you win. So hence, absolutely, the drills are all based, and your podcast covers that. It's it's fun to do. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. So I will definitely see you around. Best of luck to you guys. And uh, once again, thank you very much. Good luck with the start of things, David. Thanks. You too, Coach. Bye-bye. Okay.